this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. for a treat today I said you're in for a treat and you don't even know it but uh, this is one of my favorite people actually one of my favorite couples Bill and Marcia Gross Bill is a pastor and has been a pastor for a number of years a lot of years and uh, let me just apologize up front he's from California the baptism was from, from Cal, uh, Rocio was from Cal. You just think, where do all these California people come? It's okay. We're getting saved. We're getting baptized one at a time. <laughs> You're going to be okay. No, Bill hasn't been in California. I mean, hasn't lived, Bill and Marcia, for, uh, for many years. But uh, this isn't only for guy from California. He's like a surfer from California, okay? Be the beach, Hermosa Beach. Uh, pastor, uh, worship minister um, for many years. Uh, this couple is just, oh, cream of the crop. But let me tell you, uh, he, he, when we went to go start or had the, the, uh, the, we prayed and sensed that the Lord was saying, plant a church in, um, start a church in Memphis, Tennessee, this was the district supervisor uh, in the Foursquare uh, denomination for, uh, for the whole uh, Southeast District. And I knew Bill. I didn't know him as closely as we know him now. But I'm telling you, he just handheld us and walked us through starting a church. And, I mean, was the biggest advocate, the biggest person that was, you know, behind us and right there with us and coaching us. And uh, I remember telling us, uh, you, you know, make sure that you're taking care of your soul and your family and your heart and things that I just thought, oh, come on, I got it all taken. Everything he said was absolutely correct. And I'm telling you, this is a man of God. He's a pastor. He's a church leader, pastor of pastors, and, and, uh, and he's a, a coach, a spiritual coach. But I asked him, knowing that Bill and Marcia uh, were around the hippie movement, but around the, um, the Jesus movement, and we've seen the Jesus movie and some of these things, and I know my in-laws have been uh, involved in that and were saved in that. But Bill and Marcia, they actually uh, went to Calvary Chapel right there. They went to uh, Vineyard right there. They went to um, Harvest Church. I mean, all the things where all this stuff was happening and they were on the beach, and they watched people come to the Lord like crazy without a bunch of organizational charts and, and uh, extra planning. They just watched the simple love of Jesus transform a generation. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad that the gospel is not supposed to be complicated? It's universal. And so I asked Pastor Bill if he would uh, come up and... Um, and share this morning whatever's on your heart, but really whatever in that time. But I want us to do this. First of all, I would like to ask Marcia to stand, and I want to give her a big hand. Can we do that? Thank you. Thank you for loving and investing into us. And then I'd like for you to do this. I don't always do this, but I'd like for you to 
you get a lot of exercise in this church. Would you stand one more time? Give Pastor Bill Gross a big Memphis Tabernacle welcome today. Let's welcome him. Can we do it? After all that, I don't want to say anything to mess it all up, you know? Um, I, I can't tell you just what a thrill it is for me to be here and in this building. Um, when uh, David and Tiffany, thank you guys for inviting us, uh, when they were, for first looking at this building, um, we, we were here visiting and we walked all around it, and all I thought was, this is the perfect building for the ministry of this church. And, and I, now, and I haven't been back since. Okay, so this is the first I've seen it. And I'm blown away at all that you guys have done. Look at this. This is spectacular, isn't it? This is a building other people had given up on. But look what you've turned it into. That's the story of the gospel. You know, what, what people give up on, God doesn't. God doesn't. So before I go any further, I too want to say happy birthday, Cassandra. Where'd you go? We got to keep the birthday train rolling, you know, because birthdays are big things. You're welcome. Well, listen, um, David asked me if I would talk about um, the Jesus movement because I, you know, was alive back then, I guess. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of started not just in Southern California. Southern California, I think, had its own um, version of the Jesus movement, but it was something that was going across the entire country. You know, where young people, um, and this was especially a movement of, of young people that had pretty much given up on any thought of church, were suddenly finding places to go. You know, and so I want to tell you a little bit about that, but listen, I want to kind of do it with this. Um, I can talk about my generation and my tribe. You know, the people that, that were like me. But right now, all over the world, right now in Memphis, there are people that are your people. There are people that are your tribe. They are the ones that you hang out with. They're the ones that you, you feel like, this is, this is family to me, that have exactly the same feelings about a a desire to know God because we believe that there has to be something, but they don't have a church. And, and they won't go to a church because they just don't think that there's anything there for them. They don't think that their family will be there. Um, and so I can tell you my story, but would you do me this? Would you be thinking about yours while I'm telling you mine? Okay, and, and who God might be calling you to to be able to share this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start just for a second with childhood. I'm not going to go all through my life, so don't worry about that. But, but it's, it's kind of important to know what begins to form a person. So I was raised in Southern California. I grew up, uh, my formative years were in the 1960s. I was that whole, like you ever see the movies of like the, the surf films you know, or, or, you know, kind of what was going on in the 1960s, I lived that. That actually was my life. I went surfing all the time, spent most of my time at the beach, um, didn't really have much of a care in the world at the beach. But I did everywhere else. 
because I didn't fit anywhere else. You know, the surfers were my, were my tribe. You know, they were the ones who accepted me. They were the ones who loved me. My parents loved me. I grew up in a, uh, a church-going, you know, family. We, had, we, we, we went to church. We didn't eat meat on Friday. You know, I went, they put me in, a, in, a, in a, a, a school, a church school that I was in from the first grade all the way through high school and survived, actually, to kind of tell stories about it. Um, I was in trouble most of the time because um, I, 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 I didn't like it, I just, and I didn't get it. You know, and, and, and even from that, that second and third grade, I was kind of on the list. Have any of you ever been on the list? You know, it's like this guy's not going much anywhere with that. And, you know, when you treat somebody like they're not going much of anywhere, they'll kind of um, they'll make choices. Um, they're not always the best choices, but for them, they're the choices that kind of put a little bit of a shell around them. You know, so here I am. This is one moment that really is a standout and formative for me. In third grade, um, I decided that I didn't like the teacher, so the teacher became the target. And then the teacher didn't like me, so that made me the target. And I was, hadn't figured out yet that the one with the power um, has more missiles um, to shoot at the target. And so I'd gotten in so much trouble in school that they thought that the best thing for me would, have, would be to have me go to Saturday catechism class. Um, because obviously I didn't get what it meant to be a Christian. And so they put me in this Saturday catechism class, which might not, it doesn't sound like a good thing, except I heard something I had never, ever heard before. And something that um, I didn't see. I didn't see it at all in the Christian world around me, not because they were bad people. It just, it, it, it some, at some point, had kind of percolated down, and all this other stuff was on top of it. So we're there. I'm in catechism class. I can still see it in my head as many years ago as it was. And, there, you know, do you know what catechism is? Uh, you know, so catechism is this book, and it's kind of a Q&A. So most of them are set up with a question and an answer. And it's how they teach you about, you know, what the Bible has to say and about doctrine and about theology. So question one in this catechism class um, was, what is the chief end of man? Okay. That's a big question, isn't it? What is it? You know, even in third grade, I'm like, oh, to, to mess with me. I think that's, that, that appears to be what it is so far. But the answer blew my mind. The answer to what is the chief end of man is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. There are all kinds of other things that seem to be the most important. Um, and, you know, different facets of glorifying God, most of them, you know, in my sphere, my world back then, was you glorify God by doing the things we tell you. You glorify God by obeying the rules. You know, there wasn't a drawing out of what God had already placed there. And the whole idea that God, his chief end for you is to enjoy him, never on the radar screen. Never. Enjoying God was what you got to do after you suffered through this hideous world and died. 
you know, but there was no hint at all. You know, and again, I'm trying to think, 1960s, kid surfs, spends all of his time at the beach that he can. You know, the fun is a part, you know, I'm an Enneagram 7. Fun is built into who God designed in me. And so hearing this idea of enjoying God, it was just, it, it filed away. I think, I think sometimes God takes ideas, right, and he says, I'm going to put it right there so that you never forget it. Even if you don't live it right now, I'm going to put it where you'll never forget it. So made it through catechism class, um, stayed in trouble most of the time. All the way through elementary school into high school, um, still always in trouble. Always, I think I, they created in-school detention because I was away from school so much. So they decided to create this thing called in-school detention so that I could still go to school. Um, I was good enough at it to never get, like, like never do the thing that got you in super trouble, but I lived in trouble. Um, and because I, I didn't feel like I fit. So I tried. You know, have any of you ever been in that spot? I don't feel like I fit. So, you know, you won't try, I won't try. So, you know, in high school, again, now this is like later in the 60s, mid-60s on, you know, Southern California, we were the spot of, you know, the, the love and peace movement. You know, I was right in the middle of that in high school. Um, it was a culture that, it, that infected us. We really believed that peace could be found by loving people. Um, only we didn't have a broader definition of love. It was a very narrow, worldly, in some ways carnal, but well-intentioned kind of idea of what love was supposed to be in that. And, and you know, there's, if you look at history, they make it sound like this love and peace, you know, period was long. It wasn't. It was only for about four or five years um, because it didn't work. So you hit kind of the late 60s in Southern California, and that's where you see it kind of turn into more of like the, the protests against the Vietnam War. You know, and we were now, we were, we were people who we loved each other, but we didn't like anybody else especially any authority figure. So this really fed into that. You can't trust authority at all. You know, and we would protest and we would march and we thought it would get us somewhere and it got us nowhere. And we would watch the people that we had hope in. You know, we had hope in John Kennedy. And then he was assassinated. We had hope. Here, where you live, in Martin Luther King Jr., but they assassinated him. We had hope in Robert Kennedy, but just a few months after Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, Robert Kennedy was shot. And, and the people that we looked to that we thought, okay, they're going to pull us through this, they didn't. And then, or they were taken away. And so we were this generation going into the 70s that everything that we had kind of hoped for culturally um, was fragmenting. Then on top of that, because it was fragmenting, 
and, and, and our only solution was to act out, we weren't liked. You know, the, the establishment, you know, in the church, I was in a Christian school, they didn't want us. They didn't like, you know, and we weren't likable. I mean, as much as the movie, it just seems like these are really cool people. No, we really weren't. We were like, we were to each other, but we weren't to anybody else, you know, because we felt all kinds of things. I don't know. Different people feel different things. So, again, I was constantly in trouble. Um, by then, I had stopped going to church. I'd get up early on Sunday and hop on my bike and ride on down to the beach. Um, I would tell my mom, who was the one who was most concerned about me not being in church, that I, 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 I would go to the early mass. And so I'd ride my bike, I'd stop in, I'd grab a church bulletin, um, stick it in my backpack and go surf. And then come on home and mom would say, did you go to church? Yeah, I got the bulletin, you know. And she never bought it. She was like, well, what, what, what was, the, uh, what was the, the sermon about? I, I don't know. I don't pay attention, mom. You know, but I went. I went. She goes, no, you didn't. You know, and so her, she prayed fervently for me to kind of have this relationship with God that was there. It just wasn't active. You know, God never, ever lets us go. Ever. in that. Yeah, really, isn't it? So, you know, I am in high school. Uh, uh, I think I was a sophomore. I'd gotten in some pretty big trouble um, this time. And so my mom said to me, um, you, have, you have two choices. Uh, I won't tell you what the one was. It was pretty severe. The other, which seemed almost as severe, is you have to go back to church with me. But she goes, I found something for you. At this other parish, um, not the one we attend, but you can go to this one, they started something called a guitar mass. You know, I play guitar. Guitar masses, you might not know what they were. That was folk music of the 60s hits liturgical church. It was kind of a mashup. And so literally it would be 10 or 15 of us strumming our guitars all together, um, playing exactly the same chords all together. Um, and, you know, we provided the music for mass. But something was, something with this one, it was led by a born-again, spirit-filled priest who had just accepted Christ a few years early and was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this was the beginning not only of what would start as the Jesus movement, but the Jesus movement started at the same time the charismatic renewal, which is what they call it. That was Pentecostalism meets the Episcopal Church, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church. You know, and suddenly this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit in a, in a visible, practical, powerful way kind of came together. You know, and so she said, you either go join this guitar mass or this. I thought, well, I, I can play my guitar and it's only an hour. So, okay. Uh, this priest who was brand new to the parish, young guy, uh, was in charge of the guitar mass. And so every song that we would practice for the upcoming service, he would tell us what all those words meant. He was discipling us. We didn't know. We just thought he didn't want us to mess it up. You know, but he was discipling. He was, he, was, he was kind of speaking these truths into our soul without us knowing it, you know. And he, and he, he let us do us there. 
in a place where we were never allowed to do us because us was offensive. You know, the way we looked, the, the values we had, the clothes we wore. We weren't wanted in any church. Maybe some of you have felt that, not for the same reasons. We really were the people that if you said, who do you not want in your church? Where we were, and again, maybe like some of you, we were, that we would have been the answer, them. We don't want them in our church. You know, but he kind of he took us in. He gave us this little, this little spot. I mean, his first Sunday, he stood up in this little pulpit, and he holds up this um, green-covered Good News for Modern Man Bible. You know, Good News for Modern Man was the Bible translation of choice for charismatic um, uh, Catholics at the time. And he said, I'm going to teach out of this every, every service for 30 minutes. So get a Bible. Probably don't have one. Go get one and bring it. And he taught out of it. And a couple months into it, he did this series on, on sin, just three weeks on sin, which you would not think would be effective, you know, to somebody who just loved antagonizing the people in charge. Um, but it wasn't, he didn't teach on sin like, like I'm a sinner. He taught on it on how much God loves me and how that keeps me away from seeing it. Not from God loving me, from seeing it. Which was kind of different than what I had experienced so far. Right? And as he, you know, over these weeks, this third week, I remember sitting there thinking, dang, you're talking about me. That's me. And he invited people up to the communion rail to accept Christ. I'd never seen that before. That was like a whole new thing. And so we came down. He and I accepted Christ. You know, at that moment, you know, again, a part of that 60s culture, um, drugs was an everyday thing. Alcohol was an every party event. Kneeling there, God delivered me of all desire for all of it. All I wanted was like, I remembered back to this and said, maybe there's a place to really enjoy God. You know, maybe I can find that place. Um, it was a charismatic renewal, too. It was a part of that. And so they taught us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, they took us to these kind of crusades. And so, the, um, show us the next slide. The, the, the protests that we were a part of became these. They're gatherings of young people that would, that would pray. We'd sing worship songs together. The first time I ever heard anybody speak in tongues was at this outdoor event. Somebody got up to a microphone and spoke in tongues, and the the adult that took us there, I I turned to him, I said, whoa, that's freaky. What is that? And he said, oh, that's speaking in tongues. Everybody does it. You'll do it one day too. That was the beginning and the end of my theology around tongues. That was it. That was the whole thing. I just went, cool, okay. Um, four weeks later, I was with some friends in their garage. We were singing. We were practicing songs. I was sitting on a washing machine. You know, in, in Southern California, we had detached garages, and your washer and dryer back then were in the garage. I was sitting on this dryer, and I was singing a song, and, like, suddenly, like, different sounds were coming out of my mouth. And I stopped. I went, oh, I think that's speaking in tongues. Cool. And I jumped right back. You know, it was, it, it became a part of life. That lasted for about six months because the church kicked that priest out of the parish. Um, 
And, and in doing it, said, we don't want any of this. Which translated to those of us who were part of it meant, we don't want you. We don't want you. And he said, <clears throat> he goes, now listen, I know we have young people in the church who are part of it. It needs to stop now. He goes, and parents, there is a new church in town that's just starting, that's attracting young people, and they're a cult. It's called Hope Chapel, and it's a four-square church. Don't let your kids go there. So guess where I was three days later? <laughs> I beelined for that place, pulled into the parking lot, right? And as I pulled into the parking lot, this, and again, this, is, this was what was happening. There, this VW bus full of surfers pulls in next to me. These four guys jump out, swimsuit, flops, holding their T-shirt, holding the Bible, um, and said, oh, man, we're sorry. We, are you okay? Are you new here? Come on up with us. And they took me up. They grabbed a couple paper towels at the top of the stairs. That's what you did back then, I guess. And, you know, put their shirt on with their wet bathing suit. And wet legs walked in, sat down. And, and I remember sitting next to him thinking, I'm home. This, this could be home for me. You know, and I felt that call. And here's, I want to give this bit of scripture. Because it, it wasn't just the culture and the people. It's what they chose to teach us. And this one passage, you know, I just remember so clearly, and it's such a powerful passage. It's in the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, Ephesians is this really cool book in the Bible because Paul didn't appear to be dealing with any big issues with the church at that time. Like First and Second Corinthians, big issues, big issues. You know, uh, Philippians, a couple of issues. In there. You know, but Ephesians, he's writing to them. And there's this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Let me read it for you just real quick. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what I saw in that? Question number one. What is the chief aim? Answer, to glorify God and to enjoy him. And the big difference was as they would teach about this, you know, as I would start to learn, it wasn't that I had to pull it together to do it. It's that this was a gift from God. You know, as you kind of read through this, like, just for this reason, I love this part too. Kneeling, again, remember, for counterculture, we don't trust anybody. We're not kneeling to nobody. Okay, if anything, we stand opposed to them. So the idea of kneeling, to God was such a powerful surrender to us. 
You know, it was, I'll surrender here because it's way better than, than anything that could be. So that even just that was powerful. And he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. So it was, again, in a world of get it together, you got to do it right. Now we're hearing, no, God is going to, he's going to do this in you. Yes. It's going to be by his power yeah. that he's going to do this. And it, it was so different than anything I had ever heard. And that he wanted me to know. How much he loved him. And Paul took the time, like, he wanted to be specific. He wanted to give you, like, a picture. Not just a, hey, God loves you. You know, he wanted, like, I want you to know, look at the words that he chooses here. You being rooted and established. That's what they planted us in. And we grew up with this idea of the love of God, with power in that. That you may have the Holy Spirit power, not the human power, not that I'm stronger than you power, not I can be defiant and last you out power. It's the power of God. You may have the power of God with everybody else, with the whole tribe, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's, they filled us with that. And the more filled we became, the more, it's like, you know, it, it, this was the best thing we'd ever found. And so because we're tribal, you know, we were the tribe that nobody wanted. We became the tribe that wanted to go tell all of our friends that we found a place where we could be wanted. Yeah. One of the biggest things of the Jesus movement was, one, they not only made a place for people that other churches wouldn't make a place for, they came to find us. And this didn't just open up the door. It was, come on in. We would go out to our friends. I used to go and I'd sit with my friends. We, you know, we would play guitar and we'd sing all these songs. And I started to introduce them to worship songs. You know, we, I asked them if we could pray together before we started, you know, to sing songs together. You know, we wanted our friends to be with us. We were really kind of into songs. We didn't even know that there's a, the, the missiology of the church is that we're not only just called people, we're sent people. And you got to have both parts of that. And so we now felt called into a place that would accept us and love us. And we were learning about God. And we could see the power of God. We saw miracles. Miracles take place. And, you know, people set free from all kinds of craziness. You know, just like set free miraculously. We saw people healed. We saw relationships that had just been fractured by the disillusionment of a world that we lived in pulled together by the miraculous work of God. And so we wanted to share that with everybody. And so you kind of see those, if you've seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution, you know, where um, a church would grow from like 15 to like, you know, 300, and there'd be all, you know, these kind of hippies sitting there. And, you know, Marcy and I actually attended a church for a while where there were 15 young people on one side of the church and 15 older people on the other side of the church. You know, and we knew we weren't wanted, and they actually voted that pastor out too, you know, because he was inviting these young people, you know. And, and we would go get our friends because why wouldn't you? We found it. What we had been looking for through the peace and love movement, what we had been looking for in our own rebellion, we found. We found it in Christ. And he was doing amazing things in our lives. And, and we moved from 
what we understood about God, which was God has rules, follow them, to God loves you, embrace him. We traded revolution for revival. And that's, that's why it kind of became this movement because it wasn't just the opening up of churches. It was that we went and grabbed all of our friends and said, I got something you got to see. And God worked in these miraculous, truly, truly wonderful ways in his life. We kind of had this distrust that became now devotion to God. You know, there was this God's loving presence meets the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, it would be hard to have one without the other. Actually, I don't think you actually have it. I just don't think you see it sometimes. You know, and I mean, like, you have it. I don't, I don't think that God's there without his power. I just don't think that people really realize it until people like you, for whoever your tribe is, for the people that, that, are, that you know they're looking and, and your friends, till you go out and say, I found it. Come on, come on with me. Let me, this is going to blow your mind. Let me show you what this is all about. You know, and, and it's still, they let us be us. There was no changing us. They said, oh, God's doing something in your life. All this, that's a part of what God's doing. Let's just, I'm just going to, you know, just keep doing that, but let's add this. You know, and, and I want to be clear. You know, if you, how many of you have seen the movie The Jesus Revolution? Okay, it looks pretty cool, doesn't it? You know, very orderly. It wasn't. It was a hot mess. <laughs> it was. All kinds of crazy stuff was going on. I mean, really, you bring that many young people who were like counterculture and didn't trust authority, and you put them all together in one place, it was nutso. You know, we couldn't put five scriptures together to save our life, you know, for a while. But here's the big difference. And here's what I think sometimes is missing today, that we're so concerned about protecting us from the outside world, you know, for what it might bring or, you know, for, for what values it may espouse, you know, for, what, for, for this person and the choices they made, we can't let this into the church, that we've forgotten that God is the one who changes people. Okay, so they brought us in with all the mess. Again, the people, at least in my town, that nobody wanted in a church. They brought us in with the deep belief that God would change us. And he did. He did. They had to tell us a couple things, granted. You know, like, hey, you know, we probably shouldn't do that. That's not, it's not okay. But because we were now experiencing this powerful love of God, we, you know, we were not distrustful when we were trying to be devoted. You can't be both. You can't be devoted and distrustful. Right? So one's going to win out over the other in this tug of war. You know, and God was winning. And the things that needed to change in our life were changing. Not in a sequential order. It was different for everybody. But because they gave us the space, they truly believed if they could get us into the community and the community could show us the love of God and we could experience that, that God would change us. And he did. He did. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor product of the Jesus revolution. You know, I grew up in that. I learned about Christ in that. The power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God. 
I'm going to skip to the end. I have one more scripture. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it because I, 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 I want to share this with you. Um, that as we kind of grew up in that family, it, it had generational effect on mine. You know, I was there for a while before I met Marcia. And then Marcia and I, you know, started to attend Hope Chapel together. That's us. Marcia looks exactly the same. My grandchildren see this picture and go, who's, who's that Mimi with? That's, that's me. I'm like, no, that's not you. We became adults there. We learned what it meant to serve there. We, went, we learned what it meant to share a relationship with others. Our best friends or some of our best friends are still We've been best friends now over 30 years. We were in a small group together. We've started two churches together, one in California and one in North Carolina. We attend a granddaughter church of the church that we planted, and we serve. None of us are bosses in that church. None of us. We do parking lots. Um, I was out paint, spray painting the fire hydrants, you know, yellow, because they had to go from red to yellow. Uh, we serve because we found the power in serving and how God works and puts you in face-to-face with people. It was a place where we raised our children. We raised them in community. We raised each other's children. Our friends, we still talk about, we're the byproduct of our relationship with each other and what God did in it. And we became a family that trusted God without condition. And in it, and here's this maybe last important part, we held on to our innocence. You know, the, the innocence that was rapidly disintegrating during the 60s that just turned into the excessive, crazy 70s, we recaptured. We trust God without condition. We believe in the things that he said. Our children all attend church. Our grandchildren, 12 of them, all attend church and will. And they're growing up in a family, not just a church family, a physical family, who believes in them because God believed in us. And so, you know, to me, that's the, that's the biggest part of what the Jesus movement was and what it did. It taught us that there really is a place where God is glorified and where he's enjoyed. That's my prayer for you. You know, be the light that you've started to be. Don't let it go. Be the place that people who are not welcomed anywhere else would find out, we'll welcome you. Come on in. Because we believe in what God will do in your life. Because he did it in ours. You know, when you were once somebody that nobody wanted, it's kind of easy to be the person that wants everybody. You know, you kind of look around and go, they they need to be, we want to bring them along. That's what I see you guys doing. When I look around this building and I see all the plans, as David and Tiffany were walking me through, and they were talking about the community kitchen. And and I saw the the room with the candles, you know, where somebody is, you know, has an anti-trafficking a ministry that they're working on. Um, that's, 
that's going out to the people that aren't, they don't feel welcome and saying, I'll welcome you, come on in. Come sit with me. Come hang with me. Come be a part of my small group. One of the biggest reasons we started small groups is it was a place we invited our friends to. Uh, in that church, small groups didn't start with people in the church. It started with people that you'd invite to come to your small group. Yeah, and so that's my prayer and, and my hope for the church today. Because there's a lot of people that don't feel welcome in church because we haven't welcomed them, really. You know, and we have our reasons, and I understand that. And I'm not trying to minimize the tension of the world around us. I just know that we don't fight with those weapons. We don't, we don't fight with the weapons of tension. We fight with the weapons of invitation because that's what God invited us. Can I pray for you? Dear Lord Jesus, what a gracious God you are. Well beyond anything that, um, that any of us deserve. But you and, and just your deep love wanted to be sure that we would know. We would know the depth of your love. And it's amazing that you didn't, you didn't even just leave it up to our own power to understand or to discern. But you gave us the Holy Spirit, the power of God that could reveal it in the most deeply personal and penetrating ways. Each of us, Lord, have the stories of how you revealed yourself, and they're all different because you came to us as, as individuals, made by you, loved by you, with plans that you have for us. And Lord, I continue to pray that for the church, that you would have our doors wide open, that in the tension of the world around us, what we may agree with or what we may not agree with, that they just become places to identify who should we go invite, who should we bring in so that they could experience the transforming, powerful love of God. Lord Jesus, we believe in you. We believe there's one way, and it's your way. And Lord, I pray that you would have it flow out of this building and out of these amazing people with the power of God and with the love of Jesus Christ. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.